Good morning, everyone. Uh, like I said before, I'm here in Las Vegas with my wife 10 feet in front of me at 5 in the morning, so I'm praying that twenty, almost 25 years of marriage is going to last. Uh, so I want to thank Mike Momola. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Don't Let's know if you guys can me. hear me, but I just lost you. I don't think you can hear me. And Dave Marino, what's going Good on? Good morning. What's and up? What's I am so excited morning? because, number one, did you see the Apple TV news yesterday, Dave? Humongous news. Congratulations. Long time coming. A lot of hard work to get to this point. How is Dave Meltzer so lucky? Attention <laughs> plus intention equals coincidence. Apple TV, baby. That's right. It's uh, I'm so lucky because uh, we deal with what Simon deals with. And that was the second point, the New Day resolutions, the understanding of habits, the understanding of enjoying consistent, persistent pursuit. Uh, you know, it's amazing. I'm walking around Vegas with all, you know, my life is a field trip, basically, especially. <laughs> and, and it's COVID. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm just some poor kid with a single mom, six of us out of Akron, Ohio. And, you know, I would have never even dreamed that this was even possible because half the stuff didn't even exist. You know, I just saw yeah. a car here. I'm at the Consumer Electronics Show. I just saw a car here that changes colors you know so they have kind of like the windows on an airplane it goes from white to gray to black so you can have three color three colors on your car now an autonomous vehicle with three colors on the car real quick before i introduce Simon appropriately my uh, actually i'll save it for the end remind me my greatest lesson of ces uh, it. because it applies to dave marino and his tesla uh, believe it or not. <laughs> but you talked me into buying, by the way, but yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is amazing, by the way. All right. So <laughs> let's introduce, uh, talking about amazing, uh, let's introduce our guest, Simon Severino. He is uh, uh, co-authored this book that I have uh, just adored because I'm trying to keep, teach people coherence, the ability to remember what to do and to actually do it. And they wrote a book called Habits of Success what top entrepreneurs routinely do in business and in life, because there is a common denominator as I have uh, been with billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers, people who carry the spirit of excellence. Simon, welcome to office hours. Welcome David. Welcome Mike. Welcome David. Welcome the whole community. Yeah. Well, you, you got it. We make sure that we got a community here by bringing in the best and the brightest and, uh, Let's start with habits, and I'm going to take a step backwards from what most people that speak with authors do, and that's, you know, what did you read? Who were you exposed to to write such an amazing book? As a reader, I'm, I'm a nerd. I am into Plato and Socrates and the pre-Socratics, Parmenides, uh, Sophocles, stuff that... Stuff that is not not on on every on every billboard, and <laughs> this is where I lost my <laughs> this is where I lost my my youth really uh, or philosophy. Uh, that's my thing. And then later on, when I became a a leadership trainer and then a strategy advisor, I found that it was the superpower was really structuring complex things and make them simple and actionable 
And this is what you learn when you have to read Sophocles. Uh, you have to work through the thick, and at the end, you have you have to find the structure and find the pattern and say, okay, what do I do with this now? And so that was the work, right? So I, I read philosophy and I read business books. And for me, it's the same. For me, it's the same. It's about complex things, getting them simple and actionable and, uh, and moving forward. So as a reader, I come from very nerdy places. I like that. No surprise that. Speaking uh, of nerds, you all know my friend Dave Marino. Oh, man. <laughs> philosophy was one of my favorite courses in, in college. Uh, me too. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it obviously searching through all those great philosophers' work to find the needle, the message, a lot of people struggle with that. So there's no surprise that there's a parallel between your success in understanding and interpreting philosophy and your success in life. And obviously the, the new book is, is about habits of, of success. Uh, the title is What Top Entrepreneurs Routinely Do in Business and in Life. Uh, would love because I think that's just you know a powerful message and we, we all have read some of the you know traditional habits books seven highly effective habits etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, what are some of the things that you, that you speak about in the book and what are those parallels those habits that you can implement in your, into your life those life philosophies that both business and life will, will make you successful I boiled down my own habits to three things and I learned this from, from life because without having them, I was overwhelmed in tough years, in tough projects. And I learned that from my triathlon coach who said, Simon, we need a training plan and we need just accountability loops and you will upload your numbers. Your, 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 your watch will tell me how fast you're running and how much you're running and how much you're biking and how you're swimming. And we will take it from there. I will, I will tell you when you are when you're doing things wrong and we will get it right. Um, and I said, wow, that's a cool, that's a cool system. I want this system for my strategy work. Like wherever entrepreneurs are, I don't have to fly to them because I don't want to go to the Vegas and, uh, and Shanghai's of the world anymore. I did it 15 years. I'm, I'm, I am now in a place where I want to do this from home. And so I was like, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? And, um, and my, my thing was, you know, the Spider-Man movie where you have this young Spider-Man super excited. <gasps> Should I kick the left door or the right door? And he asks his friends and the friend is on the desk and says, give me a second. <laughs> do the left one because, you know, he's at home. He can do the research. And so that was my dream. I want something for entrepreneurs that is like that because you, you need, you know, quick questions and quick answers in the moment when you need them. And so I created for me three habits, daily habit, weekly habit, monthly habit. And that became something that I use and I can use it anytime, everywhere. And it, all our clients use it. It's on their phone. Whenever they are, they tag the coach. Hey coach, should I do this or should I do that? I can send this email or that, check this subject line before I send it out. And so it became this and it comes from my own three habits. The daily habit is how do, how do I allocate my time? What do I delegate next? If I would live more freely and more intentionally, what I would do tomorrow. That's the daily habit, how I allocate my time. And it's always on, on my phone. I, I guess I can show you even, no, let's not try it too much. But it's right now on my iPad. I have how, how I use my, my time, right? The weekly habit is, Get your three numbers right. I always have three goals for, 90, for the next 90 days. Three goals. 
And every goal has one number. And that number is always in real time prepared by my team, is always in front of us, in front of the whole team. Three numbers. And these three numbers, they either go up or they don't go up. And that's what we discuss. Are they going up? Because we want to know these three things. It's one marketing number, one sales number, and one operations number. And these three things tell us if we are moving forward at the right pace in the right direction. Because speed is not enough in moving forward. You need also direction. And that is velocity. Velocity is speed plus direction. And so these are my three habits. And uh, I, I started doing them for myself 17 years later. I shared them uh, with, with my clients. And now it's, it's become a whole system that people apply. It's the strategy sprints method. And they apply it uh, when they want to double their revenue in 90 days. But it started really me needing something that is controllable in the midst of an uncontrollable market because that's entrepreneurship around you you can control nothing so what do you control you control your response to what happens how you allocate your time if how you how you deploy time energy budget team time and team resources that's the date in the weekly habit Hey, Simon, uh, first of all, on being a uh, self-described nerd, congratulations to you, right? Because we look back 35 years ago, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, there was a, there was a movie called Revenge of the Nerds, and they were these goofy, silly guys that got pick, picked on and beat up by the bullies of the school. But fast forward 35 years, newsflash, the nerds have won. Uh, you, when you look at what's going on in the world, when you look at the people that are these so-called nerds, like They've won, right? What's happening in technology and computers and everything else. So good for us. Good for the people that are that are so What's that? I said, how's that feel, Marino? There you go, Marino. So so good for you on that. My question is when you talk about these routines, because I'm a, I'm a fanatic of routines with regard to the dailies, because you mentioned the dailies and the weeklies and the monthlies and, and things progress. Is there something in the daily that is in the book or that you apply in your life? with regard specifically to morning routines? Because for me, for a lot of the successful people I know, morning routines, for Dave, big, big part of, of life, right? How you start the day. Ah, it typically. works. Yeah. yeah. What is it? There we I go. can show Sorry. you. It works. This is my iPad. So people, people listening, I'm showing my iPad right now, and it has my day, today. So this is the template that I use, and then I move it forward. That, that's tomorrow, right? So before I close the day, I design tomorrow. And this is my day right now. Six o'clock in the morning, I was running. Then eight o'clock, I did my top three. So it's a buffer time. This is my morning routine. First, exercise. Uh, then uh, what you don't see here is seven. I had breakfast with my kids and my family. And then they go to the kindergarten. And then it's eight. It's the top three things. Why is it top three? Because I don't know what is top three. I will prioritize in that moment, but I know that there are top things. And so I make time for the top things. That means nobody can book me uh, in, on my calendar because my team, of course, and my clients have my calendar. They can book, but not on this time. This is for deep work. Uh, and so, and then it goes, of course, clients and, 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 and team and uh, interviews right now. And then at the end, it says family, because as an entrepreneur, if you don't, if I don't have that in my calendar, I just go working 24 hours because I love it. And it doesn't feel like work. Like I could do, I, I, I do only two interviews today, but I could do seven. Why not? It's fun. And then there are two things that 
that I ask myself before I close this day and start tomorrow's day, which of today's activities could be done by somebody else even better? And uh, if I lived more intentionally and freely, what would I do? And this is where literally I was asking myself, oh, I, I always wanted to write a book. Okay, book, Sam, write a book. And what can you delegate more? Oh, come on, let's not do the accounting. Okay, hire an accountant. So that's how I, how I manage myself. It starts with a strong morning routine, whatever, whatever is good for you, but you need one. Mine is exercise. My, uh, Simon, number one, uh, please send over to my team and me how the hell you just did that. That was my next question, man. What yeah, that was buttons for everything. I'm a real time guy. I have buttons for. I'm 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 preparing for the metaverse. You know, I want to. Yeah, have yeah, yeah. No, but please, if you wouldn't mind sharing, <laughs> uh, I encourage Mike to be more interested and interesting. And when people come up with that, all I think about is, man, I got to get a team that's more like Simon, uh, looking looking about how to make this stuff better. Uh, so please send that over to my team and elevate uh, this show for us because that was. How cool is that? It's awesome. Let's give them yeah, a point, I have guys. A, I have a daily show on YouTube. I have a daily show where we go through stuff. So, for example, people people ask me then, hey, Simon, should I buy this or that? And so I need to pull up quickly some charts and say, no, no, today you don't buy Lugring. <laughs> you, you, and you don't sell anything. Keep cool, everybody. This is track. So I need buttons for everything. Whenever yeah. people ask me something, I need to be able to answer. I need that. Yeah, please send it over. I, I will. Uh, I will gladly g give you some more speed. Re real quick, we got one minute uh, before I bring on our next guest sitting in the uh, our green room. All of these things, I agree with one hundred percent. Not that that matters to anyone, but more importantly, how do you deal with coherence, though? So, you know, Rob Deerdeck has created an app about my student of the counter. I talk, you know, about new day resolutions that take into account your new year resolutions, your intermediate objectives, your long-term objectives. I tell people I have a 14-day gratitude challenge. Uh, everyone knows gratitude will change your life. Simply say thank you for 14 days before you go to bed and when you wake up. I have an unwinding routine. None of these things that work matter unless people remember to do it and actually do it. Where's the secret in that? Where, where do you teach people to remember to do it and actually do it? I think it's two parts. One is pick one thing. And the second one, because you know, you can go flirting with everything forever, but you will never grow up. You will never go deep. So pick one thing. I picked 20 years ago, my topic around me. Everybody was talking because I was a leadership advisor. And so everybody was talking culture, culture, culture. That was the cool thing to talk about. I said, all right, I pick something else. I pick strategy. And uh, I said, go to market strategy. That's my thing. That's what I stand for. And everybody was like, oh. I said, yeah, yeah, that's my thing. Okay, no, everything else goes away. This is my thing. And now 20 years later, I just stick to it. Now, how did I stick to it? Because that's the, that's the problem, that you find new shiny stuff. And then you lose integrity, you lose consistency. So... Sticking to it, again, my, my three habits, daily, weekly, monthly. The weekly would tell me what's working, what's not working, and I would do more of what's working and less of what's not working. And my time allocation would tell me if I am on the right things or not. 
because if I'm not on the right things, I will not have impact and then I lose momentum and then I lose energy and then I start doing also a little bit of that and a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and then you lose that coherence. So impact is important and for impact you need focus. So for me it was picking one thing, doing it every day, not stopping doing it and not let myself be distracted by all the many shiny things around it. I'm still just a strategy guy. That's what I do. My my company, 20 years later, my company is called Strategy Sprints. My new book coming out in February is called Strategy Sprints. That's it. So coherence is simple. Just don't add stuff. Uh, keep doing what's working and, and show up every day. I love it. Prioritization is the antidote to procrastination uh, and have your non-negotiables, just like our friend Simon. Simon, thank you so, so much. Check him out at strategysprints.com and look for his new book in February, Strategy Sprints. Thanks so much. We'll have you back, my friend. And thank you so much for sending over that share screen. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Keep rolling. Thank you. All right. All right. Here we go. Next up, I'm not sure uh, the momentum's going. I just got a dirty look for my wife. Hello, <laughs> Helene Knapp, uh, founder and CEO of City Row. And, uh, you know, looking here today, uh, you know, you're on the sixth year, I believe, uh, coming up on your, uh, on your company. And you're in the 99.9% uh, of achievement because, you know, it's one thing to start a business. It's another one to keep it in business. And, you. you know, I have several different philosophies and strategies on my own to Stay in business. I think when people ask me what's the number one piece of advice for a startup, I said focus in on staying in business because eventually you'll figure it out. Every startup's a big idea. If the entrepreneur that makes it into a good idea uh, that ends up to be successful, that's why I invest in good entrepreneurs because they can take bad ideas and turn them into good ones. So I want to congratulate you coming on your sixth year. But for you, what is the secret of staying in business? I think you, you hit the nail on the head. First of all, thank you, David, for having me this morning. Um, I think it's just- Thank my wife, because this girl wasn't going to happen unless I let her, she let me wake her up at five in the morning. I think it's just, how do you power through, right? I think there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows. They often come at the same time. And you know, it's not giving up when you've run out of money and payroll's been shut off and you can't use the credit cards anymore. It's okay, this isn't working, where do we go next, right? It's constant problem solving. And, you know, there were probably a bunch of times throughout our, it'll actually be eight years on Monday, um, that I thought, you know, it could, this is it, right? Like, do we shut down? But I think it also comes from a deep, deep amount of self-awareness in knowing what you're good at and what your superpower is. And I, I would always bet on, on me to figure out how to solve a problem in a unique and different way. And I can't say that about every single person, right? Not everyone is, is right for that deep level of problem solving in a new way, but um, especially over these eight years, I've, I'm always I'm always ready to solve a problem in a new and different way. So it's, it's that grit and resilience that probably comes from years of building that muscle. Elaine, congrats on all the success on eight years. Obviously, uh, many people are familiar with City Row and the brand, and that's a testament, obviously, to the work that's been put in. 
group fitness, it, it, it is so attractive to folks like the gentleman you have on the screen. Like for me, you know, being a college athlete, once I was then left on my own to figure out what, what the hell to do, I would go to the gym, fart around for 30 minutes and then leave. But then when I discovered group fitness, it's like, all right, well, Dave is, is, is doing, you know, 50 RPMs. I got to do 60. Right. And it's just the, 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 the conscience competitiveness in all of us. So I would love for you to walk us through because I know you discovered specifically rowing when you suffered a lower back injury and were looking for something that was low impact. What's the mindset of, hey, this is pretty cool. This is working for me to I want to make this a business and a career. What steps did you take and talk to us about the decisions that you made and the steps that you took to get where you are? Yeah, awesome. Well, we're definitely cut from the same cloth. So I was I was <laughs> hustling like a crazy type A in New York City, working for a lot of high growth tech companies. Uh, and, you know, similar to your, the last guest that was on, like I could have worked 100 hours a week and like not thought that that was bad. Like I loved it. It was fantastic. But it was also on a wellness journey after being a bit heavier growing up and specifically after college. And so I was like, you know what, working out is important to me. And boutique fitness for me was actually accountability. And it was motivation to show up for a class because if I was going to the gym at 7 p.m., well, no way I was going because there was an upsell opportunity for Under Armour and you better believe I wanted that commission. And so for me, it was a, a lot of accountability. And, you know, David, I fell fast and hard for boutique fitness. So I was front row soul cycle. I was, I was paying extra for the t-shirt, whatever you needed for that crazy CrossFit class. And I thought I was doing everything right. I was working out like five, six days a week and spending a lot of money on it. But it was, a, it was a, a day where I was like, oh, I don't feel so good that turned into being every, every single day my lower back hurt. And when I found out that I had three herniated discs, I was shocked because nothing had happened. And as a very conscientious person, I thought I was doing everything right. And so I started talking about it because I was frustrated. I was pissed off. I was like, what do you mean I can't do my stuff that I love anymore? I should be running a Tough mutter in my sleep, not wearing a back, a back brace at 25 years old. So I was really pissed, right? And it's that frustration, that anger that really fueled me in the beginning to problem solve. And in the beginning, it was like, okay, if I need a low impact workout, well, Matt Pilates is not going to work for me. You guys met me for five minutes. That's certainly not what I'm looking for in a workout. So I was like, well, what's a high intensity workout? And I learned about rowing through a trainer. And I was like, well, this thing is so good for you. It's like this unsung hero that torches calories and it's this low impact thing that I need learning other people need that too, even if they haven't figured it out yet. And it's total body and torches calories. So like, why isn't it the thing that we're all doing? And quickly answer that myself in that it had an image problem. It was for Winklevoss twins, right? Or like <laughs> my CrossFit bro friends who like, I don't want to work out with them. They're like very sweaty, you know? So I just like couldn't picture me and my friends rowing, but at the same time, I saw an opportunity for disruption in a piece of equipment that was basically the redheaded stepchild for a long time, but it was so good when you peeked under the hood. And so I, I really like, damn, I couldn't stop thinking about it. That was the first step, right? And I kept talking about it and people were really interested. And then I did a little bit of research, looked at the trends and I was like, oh, trends are pointing towards, we are working out for not just more days of the week, right? but more years of our lives. And that means more impact. And that means more times that we are putting pressure on our joints. And if we're not smart about it, I'm not gonna be able to play tennis when I'm a, a grandma. And so I was like, I don't think that I'm alone here. And as we just- But you, will, further you along, will be able to play pickleball. I, I know, <laughs> but I'm waiting for pickleball. I'm excited to play that, but I'm currently playing tennis until I can't anymore. Um, I love that. <laughs> 
So I was like, I think this is interesting. How do I test it? And so step one was throwing up a website to assess demand. It was like, sign up here for the next big thing, group fitness, you know, like teased it a little bit. It took off just naturally, organically through social. And then I was like, well, shit, now I have to actually go do the thing that I said I was going to do. And, you know, people always say, what was your jump in moment? I got a piece of advice that was just like, keep making one small decision at a time to move the company forward. And that was the first year as I was doing a side hustle at my second tech company. It probably wasn't until I signed a lease. But even that moment of jumping in and signing the lease in New York City, I was like, you know, what? we can always become a yoga studio or a WeWork. You know, there's always a way to back out. Uh, and then I quit. I didn't quit my job until the day we opened the first location in Manhattan. But, you know, there were a lot of really tough moments along the way. And I remember taking a walk with my co-founder on the East River saying, if this lease doesn't come through, I'm done. Right. This is this is too hard. You know, but like there's some crazy stories that that came through that first year. Uh, and I look back and I yeah, I'm also I'm, I'm writing a book right now. That's, you know, the journey and some of these moments. And you look back and you're like, you have to be a little bit naive to go into these crazy, crazy adventures and jump into the deep water. Helene, congrats to you. And, uh, you know, I know that you were in SAS and now if I don't know if the word or the phrase even exists, but if it doesn't, I think you should grab it. But if you're fast, right, it's fitness as a service. That's what you're doing. And uh, good for you because we need more of that. With regard to uh, adopting, being one of the early adopters of the at-home connected model, going forward, we see with technology, so much of this is just exploding in every direction, specifically with the metaverse. Any thoughts or ideas of getting into that and having people being able to literally row anywhere around the world against each other? Open to it. I think it's so fun because this is still early days, yet everyone is talking about it nonstop. You know, yeah. pre-pandemic, there was a 7% household penetration in at-home fitness. And, and think about where we are today. We're more than we're more than double that within 18 months. That should have taken us five years. Yeah. And so it still feels like we're, you know, everyone is talking about this and there's a million players, but it's still such early days that I have probably a two and a half year roadmap before I even think about the metaverse. Got it. And I think when you think about the metaverse for us, it's how do we make that um, organic and aligned with our business and our objectives. We're, we're not about competition, right? I'd rather think about it. How can I be in a virtual class with my instructor, yeah. right? How can we show up there together? Um, but for right now, I think that we have a lot more opportunity to leverage technology to bring community together and to connect the digital and the in-person. So that's our sweet spot because not only do we have a pretty big direct-to-consumer hardware and software business, but we also have studios across the country. And particularly coming through this pandemic, and we're approaching two years of this right now, we're starting to see the recalibration of people going back into physical studios and missing people and needing to be around people. David wants mm -hmm. to compete with people. Our class isn't even competitive, and I'm still competing with everyone in class. And I love that <laughs> because I'm going to push myself more. And so I think we have a really interesting year ahead of us to see how do people react to the fact that I can go back in person, but I also have developed this muscle to work out at home. I think the answer is hybrid. I think the answer is more days of the week. At home becomes the add-on day. Um, and we're going to see a lot of recalibration. So I'm excited to think about how do we leverage technology to connect those experiences and make them richer. You know, it, it's interesting uh, because more days of the week is absolutely, you know, when you look, we just had someone on about habits and, you know, good habits aggregate and bad habits aggregate. Uh, but sometimes, you know, overdoing good habits can aggregate bad 
results as well. And which is why, you know, for example, recovery is such an essential part. I'm a huge rower myself, you know, especially when the pandemic hit. Uh, and it, it's interesting because I've always wondered why more people didn't row because of, you know, the incredible results that you get from rowing compared to running on a treadmill, biking, the Stairmaster, the elliptical, uh, which was, you know, kind of the first thing to say, hey, you may want, not want to pound your joints every single day. You know, here's an elliptical trainer. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the biggest issue, because you have all the components for success with all the different fitness companies out there, you've aggregated those. But, I, you know, I call it the head of the Charles problem. And, and you kind of touched on it with the Winklevosses, right? Everybody ran. Everybody walked stairs. Everybody rode bikes. It was easy to say, well, if I'm going to exercise in my home, stay still. This is before the community and the internet connection and the, the phase. But you have all those components. You know, very few of us, you know, rode. <laughs> you know, we, we had no idea. I right. I didn't either. Uh, but the minute I started to do it in college, um, because I wanted, you know, as a pole vaulter, more, more than a football player, I, I wanted that full. That's what you need to be a pole vaulter. You, you know, you need the full body strength everywhere. And I couldn't believe more guys on, you know, my football and my track team weren't rowing. That was the only machine that was empty. You know, and, you know, today uh, we, we have a different perception. I still think it's a challenge for you. I think the only challenge for you, because you situated the company so well, is awareness to how awesome rowing is. How do you address that marketing issue? You hit the nail on the head. People grew up running and riding bikes. So few people have ever rowed. And their image of it is, is very, I would say, it's, it's, not, it's not positive for the most part. Because a bunch of Harvard assholes. Yeah, I don't want to hang out with them. Um, <laughs> but it has always been education and awareness. And I think what you get on the flip side is once you get over the initial hump that we have, which is you know our challenge and also our, our opportunity, because once you're over the hump, you stick around for a long time because you feel it and you get it and you see the results. And so we have an incredibly high retention rate. It's all about how do you either get them to take three to five classes in a studio or how can we get them to take five classes at home? And I think I've, I have I've lo look back to where we were eight years ago and I had to be like, this thing is not all arms. People, people are like, I don't want to be bulky. You know, so we have we have come a really long way than early days. It, it, this, this conversation was a lot easier right now when you have a lot of players in the space also touting how great rowing is for you. Eight years ago, there was no one else doing it. So a rising tide truly does lift all ships. And I think we're going to see some really big player in the space come out with a rower soon. And they're going to do a lot of the hard work for me, David. And I, I am not it. afraid of letting people do that. Not that you're afraid of hard work, which I love about you, Helene. Congratulations once again, coming up on six years. Uh, just remember that aggregate eight, effect. Eight years, world. right? Oh, so eight. I'm eight. eight. Uh, I was a child. Eye, my eyes are yeah. bad. My eyes are bad here, keeping uh, my my hotel room dark, or my uh, my notes are wrong. But eight—that's even better. Just remember. What, imagine how big you'll be in seventeen and a half years when you hit chasm, when everything doubles exponentially. So we, just don't forget us when it gets so big. We'll, uh, we'll remember you. Congratulations on your great Thank success. Thank you. Check I out City Row. Congrats. It, it, just Thanks, give Wayne. it a try. It's one of those things, just give it a try. I promise you, you'll love it. City Row, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me. What a great guest. All right. Now all my heart wounds are pissed at me as I called assholes, but... Uh, my wife thinks I'm an asshole now. She, my siblings think I'm an asshole. 
I'm working well this morning here up on my Apple TV. And he's luckily, uh, this guy's not an asshole, but we're lucky to have him on. Uh, Brady Sedler, um, co-founder and CEO of Double Elvis Productions, uh, and an incredible storytelling facility. If you know me, uh, storytelling is probably the most essential quality uh, in, in life uh, because life's about lessons. Lessons keep on coming until we learn them. And in my opinion, the only way we learn lessons is through stories. And, you know, Brady has a production company that understands that and allows people to accelerate, grow and expand. Brady, how important is storytelling uh, in your business, but also in life? Storytelling is our entire business, as you alluded to. And, um, you know, we tell stories about mostly known personalities. So our, our flagship show is called Disgraceland, and it's a true crime meets music history podcast where my co-founder and partner, Jake Brennan, uh, came up with the, this idea. He saw the boom in true crime content and everyone's fascination with that and his personal experience as a professional musician who grew up in and around music. Uh, and he put those things together and it became a, a massive hit show. But I think it's because he dives into these stories and brings them to life in a narrative scripted manner uh, that brings you inside of it. And the power of storytelling creates an emotional connection with the audience, just as it does in any aspect of life where you use storytelling and as you alluded to why it's so important. I think it's <clears throat> super interesting just, you know, by quickly going to your website and seeing uh, the image of, of, of Elvis and in, in, in the kind of the artful way you guys put it. And obviously, you know, we look at all of these historical figures and there's always half of a story told. So I, I'm super duper interested in, in, in checking this out. And uh, kudos to you guys for zigging when everybody's zagging and telling real stories. Um, but one thing that I think is, is, is very interesting, obviously, you have that image. Um, it's a likeness, but it's been altered. It's, been, it's, it's different. And also you guys are doing this entire show without any music licensing. And I know there's a creative approach that you guys have taken to kind of get around that. And as three attorneys, you know, two recovering, one that's still crazy enough to be one, uh, I think it's important for, for you to kind of talk about that process. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. You know, when Jake first started the show, everyone kind of told him he was crazy to try and tell these stories about known figures without having the licensed music. And the reason, one of the reasons it hadn't been done is because licensing is so challenging. And especially in podcasting, which is still in its relative infancy, uh, a lot of that has not been figured out. So he said to himself, well, you know, as I know, you know, David often preaches, what am I best at? What do I really know uh, better than anybody? And for him, that was creating original music. And so he decided that, you know, he was not going to let the naysayer stop him. And he created these stories with original music, not sound alike, kind of cheesy music, but really complementary to the narrative music that brought you in even deeper. And, um, that's been the approach ever since, you know, we've teamed up with all sorts of other musicians and artists and are giving them a way to use their skills just as Jake originally did to continue expanding now with Disgraceland, our spinoffs, uh, Badlands, where we focus on sports and sports figures in the same manner, um, Hollywoodland, where we do similar thing with uh, actors and um, on and on. So yeah, it, it's, it really comes from, those constraints, which 
forced him to have to think differently and, and use those strengths to get creative. Brady, when we talk about the importance of storytelling and, and all of the great things that you're doing and that Jake's doing, we're talking about, like you said, conveying these emotions for, for one purpose or another, uh, whether we're trying to sell ourselves or our business or integrate ourselves with others, immerse ourselves into a culture. And that all leads to uh, potentially, in, very, in a lot of cases, collaboration is what we're looking for and what, what we're talking about here with you and Jake and others. And I know your book, Collaboration is King, How Game Changers Create Marketing partnerships that build brands. I agree. Collaboration, right? It's like if you talk to successful people, it's not just them. It's the people that they've worked with. They say, I've worked with great people around me. Tell us about that, please, because I'm so interested about collaboration being king and how that integrates with storytelling. Yeah, the the idea of collaboration came really to me uh, most clearly working in brands and advertising um, and seeing that in order to be able to genuinely connect and storytell as a brand, it often required more partnership and collaboration because some of the ways that social media in particular created demands on brands weren't really inherent or native to those brands. So collaboration became a way to do that in, in a more genuine manner. And um, that led me down this rabbit hole. I started just collecting uh, examples of collaborations and I came upon this definition of creativity, uh, which is creativity is the ability to connect the seemingly unconnected, the ability to connect the seemingly unconnected. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what a great collaboration is, uh, yeah. you know, and so whether that is people, brands, uh, characters in a story, um, to me, it's just it's a magic formula. And, you know, you have to have the right fit. You have to have mutual goals. You have to have a, a shared audience that you're you're trying to reach. But if you have some of those things in place, it's uh, incredibly powerful. It's interesting because creativity, as I explain, is an expression of God. It's genius. Uh, the idea of what already exists and clearing the interference you know, between that genius and you, but more importantly, in this collaborative environment that you've created, it's understanding what's interfering with that flow of genius, with that creativity, curiosity, and that experience will allow you to either resonate or uh, connect to and through others. What are some of the things that you see uh, since creativity and this expression of God or genius, as I suggest, what are some of the things uh, that you see are interfering. And, and I'm going to take it back a level to a football coach who I love, Lou Holtz, right? It's not what we say, it's what they hear. And that holds true in storytelling, in your shows, in your productions as well. What are some of the things you think interfere with that type of connectivity? You know, the the ability to to connect is really situational. And so it it depends on the context of what you're trying to convey, who you're trying to convey it to. And uh, so I think it's a little bit different for everybody, but I love the idea of kind of taking a step back and looking through that lens to, to try and find out, you know, for us, uh, there were, there's lots of documentaries, there's lots of TV content. We thought an audio first approach to this kind of storytelling would help us break through. And in our case, from a business standpoint, you know, these AirPods created a lot of new time in 
people's days to consume content while they're doing other things, while they're on a go. It just removed a lot of friction uh, from the ability to, to consume that kind of audio content. So filling that vacuum with this really high quality production, music, exciting entertainment uh, was the way we kind of removed that friction and found a way to engage a big audience. Brady, what was your strategy to building an audience? I mean, obviously you guys had a unique idea and concept. And I think obviously a lot of folks want to do podcasts and they're like, well, how do I grow it? Uh, we watched Dave with the playbook go from, you know, a few folks to a few million to be in the top podcast in this space. And I think I'm kind of foreshadowing where I think you're going to go is because Dave has a, a, a niche podcast where folks know they're going to get a mix between sports and business at the highest level. Uh, obviously, I, I think you all are occupy a very unique space as well. Was that part of the strategy or can you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. The, the music meets true crime niche was Jake's first insight connecting those two things. And then from an audience building standpoint, it was his friends, his family, his fans that he'd built up in his you know, music career prior to that. And he started long before the podcast even launched, many months, teasing out what this content was going to be to that small fan base through an email newsletter and through social media. And then he started engaging with other people in the space who were already there making successful true crime podcasts and the fans of those and just being genuine about his curiosity and his interest in that world. And so then when it when it launched, you know, more and more people were all some people are already there and then more and more people, you know, kind of recognize it as an authentic step into that arena. And then, you know, you, you take chances, you, you stretch and, and you reach, you ask for help. You, you go to people who are a little bit ahead of you, as I know David preaches. And, uh, you know, that led to some introductions, which ultimately led to some editorial features and some press. And one thing led to another and it really snowballed. But I think David, you know, you, you sort of clued in on this a little bit too, for folks who want to start their own podcast, you know, if they're going for a mass audience uh, entertainment kind of platform, like we are with a lot of these shows, you know, that's one thing. If, if they have a specialty, that's where the real opportunity is. If they want to focus on their niche and create an audience, they don't need a million listeners. They need the right hundred, 500,000 listeners to be able to build whatever it is that they're building. So I think that's the place to start. Yeah. Dr. Pimple Popper is always the place I send people because that's about the ugliest, nastiest niche I've ever seen. And she's more successful than the entire pro football hall of fame, which is the most popular sport two to one in America. If you don't think that understanding your frequency is important today, you don't understand the size, scope or scale of the audience or what's resonating. And I also love Brady, the kind of Noah's arc approach you know, I tell everyone when they start anything, you know, a book, a podcast, speaking, coaching, TV shows, movies, all the things that I unbelievably pinch myself that I'm involved with, you know, I go ahead and I have this on my wall in my office and it's 22s. Uh, what I've done is I took two times two times two times two times two, 20 different times, and I put equal two million. Uh, and that mathematical equation is, are you persistent enough and are you mm -hmm. patient enough to get to 2 million ambassadors with your business, your life, your book, your podcast, your movie, because 
2 million ambassadors will get you 2 million ambassadors on the next two. So I know where 21, 22, 23, and 24 twos take me. So the 22 methodology is one that I can tell uh, you're utilizing and so many others should as well. Brady, man, I'm a big fan uh, of what you're doing. Anything I can do to help. Love the name, by the way, of your production company. Always, you know, Dave Meltzer Enterprises is nice, but come on now, double Elvis <laughs> Productions. You kick my ass. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Come back. We got others for you. Love talking to you. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks guys. Take care. Thanks, Brady. <laughs> very, very cool. DoubleElvis.com. I thought you were going to give us your Elvis impression in there. I sing like a beast, man. I mean, literally <laughs> like a beast, a howling beast. You don't want to hear me sing. Uh, for a guy who has a great you, radio voice, I suck at singing. Uh, anyway, we got you our are one hell of a rapper, I, though. I can we got train eight. We got training today at seven a.m. Pacific time. We're we're leaning towards the left. We're leaning towards the West Coast. We're going to start accommodating a few more people on the West Coast. All you lazy East Coasters, you know, no more six a.m. So we got training in Clubhouse at seven a.m. But before we get there, we got our man. He, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting choked up. Uh, Robert Scrob, Scrob, <coughs> believe unbelievable, believe unleavable.com. And, uh, you know, just so many different launches of membership programs. And there was no membership programs except for AAA when I was little. And now there's a membership program for everyone. And I'm sure even Dr. Pimple Popper has a membership to some sort of thing that she does. Uh, so be unleavable. And that subscription-based model is tremendous. I've utilized it. And because of the size, scope, and scale, where and when did we hit Chasm, Robert, before we get to your question, with the subscription model? Well, I think it was it became it really became popular with Netflix um, when it was really when the press caught on. But it was really 2004 um, where the auto billing became more popular than a front end uh, product purchase. You know, for for years, if you know, like you know, we were doing monthly subscription offers in two year you know, two thousand. But people would tell you why their religion wouldn't allow them to subscribe on a monthly basis to anything. You know, we got to pay for it up front. And really, it was 2004 when suddenly subscription offers started uh, converting at a much higher rate than product purchases. And it's you know, the reason why subscriptions are growing is because is customers demand it. Nice. And you have a question for us? I, I, well, I mean, so how with a small business out there, uh, you know, they, they, they are so focused on, you know, doing their business. They're focused on the, you know, how, you know, how business is always done. You know, how do we get small businesses, the baker, the plumber, the electrician to recognize that the customers want subscriptions and uh, we should offer subscriptions to their, to, to their customers as well and make that part of their business? That's actually a really great question. Uh, so you guys want me to go first or would you like to take it? Go ahead, Dave, take it. Okay, so, you know, it's so <laughs> interesting because until you ask the question, my mind was, you know, in, you know, rowing as a service, you know, this, you know, Mike was genius with his, you know, fitness as a service fast uh, because, you know, all the SaaS solutions that were created, you know, I was in one of the, 
you know, multi-billion dollar SaaS solutions in 1992, which is why I asked, you know, when we hit Chasm, because I kind of lost track of the subscription-based model. But, you know, they told me Westlaw was a per minute charge and it was billable back to the clients and it, you know, became a profit center. And when I first got involved with West Publishing, they said, we'll never have a subscription. I said, why don't you just give a, we called it a flat rate, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why don't you just have a flat rate model? And um, when you said plumber, it completely opened up my mind even further because I, you know, try to have an open mind, open heart and open hand at all times, but I'm human, so I can only do my best. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, plumber, that'd be nice to have a plumbing <laughs> subscription. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, my answer to your question is what I would do at Be Unleavable is, you know, create more education around being a profit center, mm-hmm. utilizing the quantitative value and be able to train people to articulate that quantitative value beyond just this is what people want. Uh, this is how you sell it. Right. Uh, right. And I think, you know, the ability I use the Home Depot, which I'm blessed to have worked with Arthur Blank, uh, who's on our TV show, by the way, Office Hours, who's mm-hmm. an extraordinary entrepreneur. Sure. But his self-checkout uh, aggregates more uh, subscriptions or, you know, a warranty type of sale than all three other out. Uh, you know, checkouts, the mm-hmm. pro contractor, the consumer in the garden, because every time it asks, you know, mm-hmm. would you like a, a subscription? So I think we need to teach the plumbers and th- these other trades that never thought of it themselves because their customers aren't thinking it. So they don't believe the customers want it mm-hmm. to ask and say, Hey, would you like, you know, a hundred dollar subscription in, you know, each year Know, or whatever the amount is, they do the quantitative analysis. I'm not a plumber. They make way more than I do. So whatever the amount was, everybody knows the joke, right? The guy's like, <laughs> I, went to that school. <laughs> I, I got it. I, 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 right. I, I heard but, it. Why are you a plumber? Well, I went to med school, but I couldn't take the pay cut. So I continue to be a plumber. <laughs> anyway, uh, I got to pay my med loans. So I became I know a, plumber. a multi-million dollar plumber for sure. Yeah, beautiful. But anyway, I would, you know, empower that ask. And I I don't think it's a matter of, you know, the plumber not knowing that people love subscriptions. I just don't think plumbers or their customers have thought about plumbing as a subscription based model. And so I think that's where I would address it. What do you think, guys? I I agree. And I think to elaborate on that a a bit and good morning, Robert, is, is to kind of flip the script entirely on subscriptions. It's like, okay, what am I paying for? I'm, every month, my wife looks at you know the credit card savings, like, what is this every month? What are we? But it's really a matter of showing people where we're going rather than where we've been. And that's to community-based leadership, communities, the value and importance of being part of something. I'm not just mm-hmm. part of, I'm not just subscribing to this. I'm part of this organization, this group that's bringing not just direct value, but intrins- and intrinsic value, but other parts of, of, of value and other parts of life to me that, that are meaningful. So I think by doing that, you start to increase the value, start to increase the perception of it and increase the likelihood that people are going to be interested in it. 
Yeah, no, I, no question. And I think the, 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 it, it, there are plumbers that have like a VIP membership where you can subscribe, but it's just helping the plumber get out. Uh, they're focused on pipes, yeah. you know, and, and lawyers are focused on law and accountants are focused on taxes Everybody's and getting busy. them out of that mindset and into, you know, how do we serve the customer in yeah. the way that they want to be served? Yeah, I agree with, with both of my esteemed colleagues here. Uh, obviously, I think quantifying uh, the numbers on both the subscriber feeling like they're saving and then also mm -hmm. the plumber feeling like they're going to be able to maximize revenue, which you can easily do uh, with the numbers, uh, is wow. probably going to be the most attractive thing to both people because money talks, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Check him out, beunleavable.com. Uh, subscription-based models, sub subscription growth is the future. Take it from me, who started in 1992. It's made a big difference. We ended up selling West Publishing for $3.4 billion in 1995. So they must know something about subscriptions. Thanks so awesome. much, Robert. All right. Great. Great to see you guys. Thanks. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, right, Dave. We're waiting. Yes. I've been waiting to ask you all, show because you, you said to yeah. remind you about it. So, uh, I, I do want to give, give a compliment to Robert who, you know, right. people don't take advantage of the marketing, right? It happens on two minute drill too. And, you know, I love someone that takes the time and preparation uh, to get the marketing out there, be unbelievable. Uh, you know, I think if I was on shows, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd have something there, my book, et cetera. Uh, and definitely don't do it in front of your wife at five in the morning. Uh, that's not good for you either. Uh, so, yeah. So my takeaway uh, of the day is also directly related to the lesson I've learned here at CES. And it's as much as you think you know, you're ignorant and arrogant in some respect, in some way. You know, I, I work so hard to be ignorant and humble and remind myself I don't know what I don't know. Um, and so I had an interview here, just like the interview where, you know, I'm now seeing Boeing in a different way, obviously subscription services in a different way, uh, you know, and it's, it changes the way I look at things completely. Well, I had a woman from uh, Sweden uh, who created uh, a software for autom autonomous vehicles in, in assisted driving. And we got into the issue of, I can't do it. I know David can, I, I can't because what if there's a mistake from the computer? And I can't get over myself about what if there's a mistake. And she said, well, you fly an airplane, don't you? I said, yeah, I fly an airplane 200 days a year. Well, they use computers to fly the airplane because it's statistically more successful than human beings. You understand that the reason autonomous vehicles will come about is because the autonomous vehicles are more statistically successful than human beings. So you are doing two things that regulation loves. One, you're saving lives. You know, regardless of your fear, you're saving lives. It's statistically far more successful to have autonomous vehicles than human beings driving them, even though you don't think so because you want to be in control and you're arrogant, ignorant and arrogant that you're a better driver than the autonomous vehicle. And two, uh, it saves money because even if there isn't death caused by a traffic accident, there's an economic problem. Insurance is higher right? Our hospitals are more filled with injuries and, and our, our automobile uh, repairs, 
you know, all these different things that happen because of accidents and then traffic. Do you know how many millions of dollars are costed? If you know, it's like someone being late to a meeting with 50 people and they have to wait five minutes times 50, right? Imagine every accident, how many minutes of productivity is wasted uh, with people sitting in traffic because there's, you know, a, a fender bender and including the other side of the freeway when people need to watch it. So, you know, my lesson for the day is let's all work our best to be ignorantly humble and really understand, you know, where there's a different, and, and I, I encourage people, whether it's the vaccination or wearing masks or any of those things, you know, I've heard the most ludicrous arguments in the world. As stupid as I was telling this lady, well, I want, you know, it's more dangerous to drive an autonomous vehicle. That's just not true. You're just afraid and you are driving autonomous vehicles all the time because it's statistically safer than you doing it. So uh, please change the way you look at things. Don't be an ignorant, arrogant person uh, or try not to be. We all are. Uh, so that's my takeaway for the day. David or Mikey? Um, yeah, it was obviously a great takeaway. I think I'm just gonna gonna kind of piggyback on yours a little bit. It's obviously, you know, don't be an ignorant person, but then also be open enough to when you have those type of dialogues like you did um, to receive the information. I think a lot of folks are just so close-minded and that, that it can be the most obvious thing, like one plus one equals two right in front of you. But in your mind, you think it's four because, you know, you just told yourself that it was that and, and that's it. So just be open to receiving it, hearing folks out and, and just, you know, approaching it that way. I, I, I'll be remiss if I didn't continue on with that one. Yeah. And for me, it's um, it's embrace your your inner creativity. We all we all have it. And so I think a lot of times because of society and other things, it you know, it gets pounded out of us. We're afraid to express it. Everybody comes from the same fundamental uh, schooling and education basis. Right. We, we all have the same. But when you look at the people that have broken out and you look at the guests today who are doing great things, They've embraced that inner creativity, whatever theirs is, their, their unique and individual inner creativity and incorporated it with all the traditional things they've learned and they're winning. And so when you look at Simon and Helene, right, nobody's rowing and she's going to incorporate that and then talk to Brady. It, creativity is, they say, intelligence, having fun, have fun with what you know and you're going to ex excel. And, and listening to Brady, he reminded me one of my favorite quotes on creativity from Einstein is logic will get you from A to B, but creativity will take you anywhere. I love that. What a great way to finish up. I want to thank you guys uh, for ruining my marriage and having the show at 5 a.m. David Moreno, Mike Momola, thank you so much. We are so blessed to have them on Apple TV with Office Hours as great uh, co-host with me. And uh, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you guys Thank you. Soon. Likewise. Enjoy. Bye -bye. Be safe. Bye. Awesome. All right, everyone. Join me in one hour, 7 a.m. on Clubhouse, on IG, on TikTok, on our webinar. Almost 60,000 people registered uh, for our training now. Uh, it's amazing. Come join us. We are going to teach the overlap agreement, how to make millions from building and being of service and asking to be of service. It's that simple. I'm going to teach everybody uh, what I've been able to do with the simple memorialization of uh, cohesive, coherent collaboration. Uh, and that memorialization is a digital one called an overlap agreement. 7 a.m. Pacific time. Please join me in one hour. Uh, if you want that uh, template for an overlap agreement, can't make the training and can't watch it on Spotify or on Google Play or on iTunes, 
just you know, email me, David at dmelter.com. Most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you in an hour.